The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Dr. Nick Nwabweze. You might know him as the fittest doc. I want to be the fittest doc. You can be. Kind of work in. That's a lot of work. Yeah. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You don't like cotton candy? No. What's wrong with God, cotton candy? The thought of eating that sugar, oh, it's too much. Maybe as a kid, but not as an adult. What do you mean? What? It's too much. Too sugary. Come on. It hurts my teeth thinking about it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Michael Chapman. Yeah, Patty Devers, how are you? <laughs> Did you know in England they uh-huh. refer to cotton candy as candy floss? Oh, now that I can get behind. I thought you didn't like but cotton candy. Why would my you? my teeth with candy? What in the world? It's back to the same problem, I think, doesn't it? Too much sugar. Anyway, this is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like precision medicine, specialty lab diagnostics, and integrative therapeutics. Yeah, and if you're new to the show, maybe you like cotton candy or candy floss. Probably maybe not. you should go to iTunes and Spotify, subscribe to the show, rate review, leave us some feedback there. And if you have additional feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast.gdx.net. Do not send any of your candy corn because I already have some. My family Ew. bought me some. What is wrong with you? I'm going to have to get you some insulin. What are you talking about? My fasting insulin is beautiful. We just did That's it. true. You do have a Harvard numbers. So maybe I need to eat more candy corn and cotton candy. Well, that's not going to work because you don't like cotton candy. Well, why are we talking about cotton candy in the first place? It's delicious. No, is that it? That's it? Just came to your mind? Pretty much. That's how this rolls, right? <laughs> sort of floats around a little bit. Greens all over the red. Um, so what are we doing today? Chappers, what are we talking about today? We are interviewing the very famous Dr. Nick Mwabweze. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, he's very interesting. So he is a family medicine doctor who uh, traditionally trained, mm-hmm. but prior to going to med school, he actually was an engineer, or he got a degree in engineering. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, okay, yeah. you just want to double down on smarty pants? <laughs> is that what's going on here? Oh, and, and by the way, also happens to be uh, like a black belt, black belt in Taekwondo, training in judo, jiu-jitsu. Like, but, I mean, but what I love about Dr. Nick is he really does walk the walk. I mean, he totally. talks and he teaches about health and fitness and sleep and nutrition. He's a family doc on the front lines, helping people with chronic disease. So he's just a great and engaging speaker. And he's an excellent person to talk to, as so many of us have been having to transition to telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works for SteadyMD, which is a delivery system, essentially, for right. uh, telemedicine, which yeah. is uh, it, it kind of gives great insight because he's got a lot of knowledge on that front, too. So without further ado, let's call him up. Let's call Dr. Nick. Hey, Michael. Yes. The fittest doc is in the house. That's awesome. Yeah, we have Dr. Nick Mwabweze, a.k.a. the fittest doc. He's a board-certified family medicine physician who cares for patients as part of SteadyMD, a national telemedicine health provider. 
He graduated from the College of Engineering at Michigan State University, then completed medical school at the the Ohio State University College of Medicine. That's right. right. Dr. Nick is passionate about how diet and movement affect overall health. He has been part of the CrossFit community since 2011 and holds a CrossFit Level 1 trainer certificate. He also has a background in martial arts with a black belt in Taekwondo and training in Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, and Krav Maga. And with that, welcome, Dr. Nick. Amazing. Thank you so much. Hi. Thank you guys for having me on. How, so, how did I do on the name, sir? Uh, you did relatively well. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just a little bit better during practice, but hey, I'm okay with it. Like I said, you can call me, you can call me Nick. No worries. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, so Dr. Nick, we, we all have different paths, obviously, to how we get to medicine and how we choose it as a career. But um, you got an undergrad degree in engineering. So help me through this. How do we go from engineering to medicine? Um, that's like a very common question I've, I've found in these podcasts and I get it. It's pretty confusing. Mm-hmm. You're like, why the hell would you subject yourself to that? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, the answer is that I was part of a, a scholarship in high school called two plus two plus two. And that essentially spoke to, um, two years, the last two years of, of, uh, high school that was a focus, um, uh, actually, I don't want to, I'm, I'm pro- I don't want to butcher this because it's been a while since I've thought about it, but essentially <laughs> long story short, the scholarship, um, dictated that you could go into you, it would be a full ride paid of engineering. Um, but you had to, you had to, um, uh, pick a certain, um, you had, to, it had to be one of the certain, uh, type of, you know, fields of engineering and it had to be a Michigan state university. Um, and, you know, obviously I, in my mind, I knew at that time that you could go into medicine being an art history major. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, this was in high school, as I, as I said, when I learned about the scholarship and I was very interested in anything that would reduce the financial burden of college on my parents, uh, and a full ride, scholarship is literally the epitome of that Mm -hmm. so you know um i was like okay hell i'll i'll go the difficult way of engineering i obviously it's a lot easier in hindsight to say oh you know you know it was a good decision and it was easy and blah 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 but in in reality it was absolutely not i was i remember being petrified in high school thinking like hell we all have insecurity issues and self-confidence issues in high school Mm -hmm. um and i definitely embodied that as well. I was uh, very many times, even though I had successfully, um, uh, uh, you know, been enrolled as, as an, as an applicant or, um, as a, uh, as, yeah, as an applicant of, of this scholarship. And, and as long as I completed all the requirements, uh, you know, I would, it would all be fully paid. I didn't, I, um, often doubted if I would be, if I had what it takes to, graduate mechanical engineering. I knew how mathematics heavy it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, ultimately, you know, I, I, wanted to go to med school and, um, it didn't matter what, what path that I chose, uh, in, in my mind, as long as that path was relatively, um, a financial, uh, boon, so to speak, or, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, financially positive mm-hmm. for, for my family. So I essentially chose the hard way to, to go to medical school and, um, yeah, now that now that I'm through it, uh, I can definitely say it was the right decision simply because I have noted ever since uh, med school um, when I 
was interviewed by multiple by by various med schools, um, and they all made a point during the interview of bringing up with me that you know that they were very intrigued to interview me because of my mechanical mm-hmm. engineering um, undergrad. Uh, so I, 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 you know, at first I was very confused by that, but I have since noted that. So engineers have a very specific way of thinking, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that has absolutely bled over for me into medicine. Um, actually I could say that's bled over for me into everything from, from mm-hmm. health to, to fitness, to literally the work that I do at the gym. I evaluate it from a physics standpoint, um, uh, to, 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 you know, to obviously, um, med school. So, um, I, now I understand why med schools specifically seek, or, you know, um, at least in my time sought after engineers and, uh, and yeah, I'm definitely happy that I that I chose that path. So you had to complete all of your engineering undergrad courses, and then did you have to go back and do organic chemistry? And then if that's true, what's, what? let's let's solve the age old question: which was harder, the engineering Ooh. or the organic chemistry? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> man, that's okay. So that's a new question, and that's see, this is how you know we're 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 talking with a uh, science minded people. Um, <laughs> So uh, that's a great question. I hated Orgo with a passion. God, Um, awful. Orgo Orgo kicked my butt. And I remember, so I was always, um, you know, despite my uh, issues with self-esteem, with thinking, hey, am I good enough for engineering? I found that um, through engineering and then through going going back, exactly like you said, and then taking classes that I needed for med school, um, I definitely became a perfectionist where if I didn't have a near four point, I would be pretty angry. Mm-hmm. So my engineering, my engineering um, GPA was 3.75. So I didn't have an exact four point, but I was pretty damn close. And, um, you know, I, I would say that Orgo it's a whole different ballgame. Engineering is very difficult, but Orgo is was frustrating um, for me uh, insofar as that I busted my butt, you know, for Orgo. And I can tell you that I three I remember vividly because I, I remember getting my grade and being angry like I got a three point zero. <laughs> and this was this is despite busting my butt. So yeah. I was very confused. I was like, I don't understand this. This is super frustrating. Obviously, I got through it, you know, good enough, um, but good enough wasn't good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, essentially, I don't I don't know. I, I would say I would say that there are some things in engineering, uh, specifically systems um, that are more complicated than engineering. I'm sorry, than uh, Orgo. Um, but then there are other things in in engineering that are that are more um, at least straightforward or were more straightforward for me. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a toss up, but Orgo was definitely, um, Orgo is a, it's very difficult. I think every clinician in the audience felt, feels heard right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, we, but, all a, we all had a therapy yes, session just there. Right. Well, uh, but yeah. here, here we are many years later and you have a thriving practice with steady MD and you've been doing family medi- medicine for so long, but the events of the past year and a half in this time of COVID has taught us the importance of optimizing our health. And so through this time, what do you think has been the most impactful lifestyle factor in your patients when it comes to optimal health, things like diet or nutrition or sleep or stress? What did you find yourself focusing on the most? That's a pretty easy question because I will, I will, I'm very straight. Well, no, I was going to say I'm very straightforward with my patients. Let's put it this way. I have patients who 
um, very much like to hear the truth and don't want to be coddled. So I'm very straightforward with those patients. Then I have other patients who are more timid and kind of I have to um, beat around the bush a little bit and, and be very gentle. But the patients who I'm very straightforward with or I can be very straightforward with, I tell them sleep is king. Hmm. It, I, I've, I've had a lot of patients who, hey, Dr. Nick, I wake up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. because my work schedule is, is you know, um, crazy. And I, that's when I wake up uh, to, to work out. So I'll go to the gym at 5 a.m. And, and then I ask further questions, right, clarifying questions. And I'm figuring out, okay, so you wake up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. What time do you go to bed? How much sleep do you get? Do you do you feel the need to take a daytime nap? Do you feel daytime fatigue? Do you, you know, um, often experience, you know, events on the road, especially when driving long distances that are scary because you almost pass out or almost fall asleep. Right. And then if they give me answers to those things that are concerning, then I will tell those people, listen, sleep you need to prioritize sleep over working out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, some people will hear that and be like, okay, well, Dr. Nick is saying not to work out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if, if there's an option between exercise and sleep, you always need to prioritize sleep. You know, as, as both of you know, I, as I'm, I'm certain sleep is um, absolutely uh, critical in so many in the, in the human body and chronic sleep deprivation is one of the biggest issues um, uh, in this country amongst amongst our, you know, the residents of, of, of the United States. So, you know, ultimately, I think that that's the one thing that so many people, given the 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 epidemic of, of sleep deprivation, I think that's the one thing that would benefit so many people to truly focus on on that and truly focus on improving it. And I'm not necessarily saying through medications. Um, I'm not anti-medication, but I do think that far too many physicians, either uh, through lack of motivation or lack of knowledge, um, default to medicines and default to pills as opposed to kind of um, teasing apart a problem so well that they can nail exactly what the most contributing factor is and then solving that and then ho hopefully solving the problem. So that's what I like to do with a lot of my patients, not only when it comes to sleep, but when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to exercise. But I think to answer your question, the single most beneficial thing that any one of us can do is to optimize our sleep. I love that. That's fascinating. It's an interesting answer, too, because like <clears throat> when I think about the that list that you said, Patty, sleep is one of the ones that I think people tend to feel is a little bit more outside of their control, right? Like to a certain extent, you can control your diet, you can mm -hmm. control your your activity level and even stress. You can manage it to a certain extent. But sleep, people tend to feel like that's, you know, like, oh, right. I just wake up. I don't know what it's about. And yeah. like they feel yeah. like it's outside their realm of control. And so to be able to address that as being the biggest factor, uh, I think that that kind of flips the whole paradigm on its head. Yeah. And I, I will also say that doctors aren't well versed in discussing sleep hygiene. Yeah. And if any anyone has followed Dr. Nick on social media, he does an excellent job through his social media pre presence of discussing the importance of sleep. So I love that answer. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that, you know, obviously you have a lot of expertise in exercise and movement. So over the last year, year and a half, I think it's really kind of created this divergence of people who either A, are are more akin to a sedentary lifestyle, perhaps even becoming more sedentary or people who are active becoming more active. Maybe some people are, are swapping because they have more time or what, but what's your approach when trying to motivate people to just move and get more activity? 
That's a great question. Um, I think the best thing you can do to motivate people to move um, is to uh, lower the um, lower the. Uh, I'm trying to think of the perfect analogy here. Uh, just lower the, the the barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Long story short, lower mm-hmm. the find their barrier to entry and, and lower it because I think all too often people complicate movements and exercise and fitness. Um, what do I mean by that? People will assume, hey, I have to become a um, you know, I have to do a triathlon or I have to do a marathon. Right. And then, um, uh, they, uh, obviously to approach that then need to draw out a, a, a long plan. And then, and essentially if you back up and look at what they're doing, they're essentially creating multiple points of inertia, multiple points of, of friction that they don't need to be doing. Um, especially if they are inactive and they're starting from nothing. So instead of, instead of, you know, putting this, this seemingly insurmountable wall before you, you need to realize that, especially when you are very overweight or you are very unfit, any little thing you can do moves the needle. Any little thing you can do helps. So the thing that I'll recommend to lots of patients, first and foremost, is walking. Because we pretty much all walk. Um, obviously, there are some you know, cases that don't necessarily lend themselves to walking. There are some people who, um, you know, whether um, they have a spinal cord injury or, 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 or you know, whatever issue. But for the most part, we all walk. So with that said, I do like to encourage um, the, my, the greatest amount of my patients to, to simply pick up walking um, for a dedicated amount of time, 30 minutes, an hour, uh, uh, for however many amount of days that, that, they can, um, that they can do. And that usually, from what I've seen, that is almost like a, it's a gateway. It's a gateway activity to other activities where people realize, hey, you know, I can dedicate 30 minutes or an hour to this. I've been doing it now for a month, for two months. I'm going to branch out. I'm going to try yoga. I'm going to try Pilates. I'm going to try, you know, something else. So, you know, in as much as I have <clears throat> been a, uh, so I started CrossFit in medical school in 2000 and, um, I believe 2010 or 2011. So I've been doing it now for over 10 years and I very much enjoy it. So I think that all too often, uh, many of my patients who, who find me on Instagram, who like the educational and, and health-based content that I put out on Instagram, they expect me during that first appointment to tell them to CrossFit. And I tell people that's, in my opinion, that's just not, it's not a prudent decision. Um, that's not to say that I will steer someone away from CrossFit who wants a CrossFit. No, if that's what you want to do, and most importantly, you feel like you could sustain, um, then absolutely go and do it. But I think that ultimately everybody, everybody needs to focus on whatever branch of activity, whether it, like I said, it's whether it's walking or swimming or, or whatever you like to do martial arts. A lot of people are into martial arts. Um, uh, as long as you feel that you can sustain it over the long term, that's what's important. Uh, because you know, anybody who has done any branch of fitness long enough knows that progress does not happen in a day. Progress does not happen in a week. Progress is truly a, a very long-term prospect and that's how it should be viewed. Um, so if that is the case, sustainability should be the priority. So essentially you should pick whatever exercise modality 
you can sustain over the longest term. And the things that we can sustain over the longest term tend to be the things that we enjoy. Right. Yeah, yeah, I like, that, I like that too. And talk about motiv- motivators. One of the main motivators for many is weight loss or rather fat loss. And we all know that this can be multifactorial. I mean, nutrition, diet, movement, hormones. Where do you focus when you create a program for fat loss? Um, I focus uh, on nutrition hmm. almost in, almost entirely. Um a lot of the data that I've seen, and if anybody you know can 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 show me data, otherwise I'll change my mind. I'm not I'm not stuck in dogma, but mm-hmm. a lot of the data that I've seen essentially shows that exercise is really not doesn't move the needle that much when it comes to fat loss. Um, uh, the thing that seems to move the needle the most uh, is um, nutrition and and nutritional changes. You know, so with that said. The same word applies, you know, in this context as applies with medicine in that sustainability is the name of the game. I actually saw a patient the other day who was uh, keto and um, she said that she wanted to see me. She wanted to uh, uh, have an appointment with me because she read my bio and she she knows that I'm very familiar with keto and that I'm not averse to it and I don't tell people to stop doing it. And um, and I told her that in reality, it isn't so much that I'm pro-keto. I've done keto and I was successful with keto, um, but that um, when when we had a little bit of a discussion and I asked her clarifying questions, I came to find out that she was using keto as a tool to lose fat. However, in the event that she, you know, hypothetically reached her goal at some undetermined time in the future, a year from now, two years from now, she would stop keto because she enjoys foods that are not keto. So then I had a very frank discussion with her where I told her that unfortunately, when you look at the data, upwards of 90% of diets fail. And it isn't so much that they fail because they're ineffective. They fail because when people reach whatever goal that they've set for themselves with the diet, they then revert back to their old, either their old way of eating or they, they revert back to a, a way of eating that is not keto or not whatever form of diet that they chose in that specific time. So I think that essentially, you know, the same concept that I just brought up with exercise needs to apply with nutrition. They need to be sustainable. If you cannot pick a dietary change that you feel, hey, I could do this for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. have no business doing it. Wow. Because of the data, the data unfortunately says that you will you will fail and that will lead to yo-yo dieting and that will lead to issues with your mental health and and kind of your self-esteem and and so you know ultimately i think it's very important to to um to pick a sustainable diet and and that change that that's very dependent on you know everybody's going to have a uh difference of opinion and what they find sustainable and that's kind of the the beauty of the human experience that we are not all the same yeah yeah that's super interesting and i i tend to find that the more that a person in their own mind refuses thinks of their diet as being restrictive, Mm -hmm. then the less likely they're going to be able to adhere to it because it's not something they look forward to. It's just not pleasurable. Uh, And so it's kind of like you're saying, finding that diet that A, is both satisfying and and nutritious and also fits Mm -hmm. your macros that you're going for long term. That being said, Dr. Nick, uh, you are in 
incredibly fit. <laughs> you are the fittest doc. <laughs> what specific diet do you ascribe to and why? I mean, you mentioned that you have done keto in the past. I'm just wondering how that fits into your overall kind of the, your fitness level and just what you're doing these days. Um, <clears throat> sure, I'll answer that. But let me just, <laughs> just as an aside, I always have to address this on every podcast. Okay. So my name, my name is not a declaration. It's not the fittest doc as <laughs> a declaration. Got it. it is. It is, it's almost like, um, it's a play on the fittest, like, uh, I, I feel like this wouldn't have been a, as good of an Instagram name, but the fittest Nick, right? Oh, so yeah. if I said, if, if I said the fittest Nick, that it would imply to anybody that, oh, this is somebody who is always trying to aspire to a fitter version of himself. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to the fitter, the fittest Nick, which is not as catchy, the fittest doc <laughs> is catchier and just implies, you know, I'm always, I, I, I think that it's important to always be pursuing a fitter version of myself as a doctor. I love that. Um, um, so to answer your question, uh, yes, I've done keto, um, I've done paleo, I've done whole 30, um, uh, currently, um, I'm, I focus, uh, and I, I help patients with this cause I think it's very important, uh, to, you, you need to design this specifically for, um, uh, every person on an individual basis, but I generally lean towards a very high protein diet. Um, I also focus very much on hydration because um, a, a lot of people are not aware of the amount of fluid that your your uh, your your body gets out of food. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, people who are dehydrated commonly uh, feel the Uh, sensation of hunger. And in that they confuse a sensation of hunger. um, I'm sorry, they confuse their sensation of of thirst for hunger, uh, and then essentially will will overeat. So I'm, I focus on protein, I focus on hydration, which is also something that differs for for everybody. Um, I personally like to do intermittent fasting. So I I do do that. simply because I do not like exercising and feeling a lot of food in my belly. Like I would absolutely throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then outside of that, you know, um, as we talked about earlier, I'm a very big, I focus on my sleep because I mean, if you look at a lot of the research as it pertains to sleep and hormones from leptin to ghrelin to insulin, I mean, just one night of, of poor sleep can essentially make anybody um, uh, insulin resistant and, and put them in a, in a transient state of prediabetes, um, or maybe even uh, potentially even higher than that. So, um, I do focus very much on sleep and, uh, but yeah, for, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm, I kind of focus on, on whole food nutrition and that's, uh, that leans towards a uh, high protein. I love it. I love it. And you know, it's interesting as you're dealing with your patients, what I find interesting is that you work, you've been fortunate to work for SteadyMD, and throughout the pandemic, many medical practices had to quickly adapt to telemedicine, but SteadyMD was ahead of the curve. So in this time, what do you see as the pros and cons of virtual medicine? That's a great question. Yeah, no, SteadyMD has definitely been ahead of the curve, and um, we we keep growing, and I'm very happy uh, that that so many people are seeing the, the benefits of, of telemedicine. Um, so the pros... The pros are, you know, I have a lot of patients who travel all around the country and, um, you know, I can refill their medications absolutely wherever they are and can 
give them care uh, and, and service them wherever they are. As long as, you know, they reach out to me, um, I've been able to help people who are definitely not in their home state when they reach out to me. So that's a huge uh, pro. Other pros that I've found are, um, well, the big one is time. So all too often in this country, um, patients will go into their uh, visit with a primary care doctor in the office and they will feel uh, a subdued um, subdued feeling of, um, of of being rushed of, of uh, you know right. having this this uh, you know literally literally feeling like like they're the the, the physician is interrupting them or the patient isn't uh, having the chance to truly get out all they want to get out in that, in that, you know, one appointment that they have with the physician. And all too often, I mean, as somebody who uh, had worked in, in the clinic for, for many years and, and, you know, in person, I know what's happening behind the scenes and, you know, behind the scenes, we are absolutely rushed. We have a, we have a schedule of 30 people of, of uh, sometimes up to 30 people to see in that day. Obviously we want to fit in a lunch break um, and, <laughs> you know, ask any primary care doctor who works in the, in, in the clinic. And we often are eating food while working at the computer for mm-hmm. our lunch break. So it really isn't a break. I mean, you're, you're multitasking and just trying to, you know, shove food down as quickly as possible. So, you know, this, this, um, uh, uh, sensation of, of being rushed, I think, in my opinion, absolutely hampers the patient physician relationship and destroys it to the point where patients feel like they're not they can't truly connect with their with their doctor like they're not being heard they're not being listened to um and you know little do they know the amount of stress that we have having to see so many patients you know having our medical assistants tell us that a patient is calling in and the patient wants to talk to us on the phone or or you know the, the insurance company wants us to wants to have a conversation regarding a prior auth or, you know, all these minutia um, or all these, all these things that, that are, that are important, but, you know, obviously we need to focus on the person in front of us. So SETI MD, uh, what I found is, since working for them is that all of that is just completely erased. I'm, the longest appointment that I've had with a patient so far on SETI MD has been a 67 year old who had a litany of, um, of medical issues uh and our appointment was two and a half hours long uh, but most appointments on SETIMD are an hour at minimum hmm. at minimum right so yeah. this affords me the ability to do what any good doctor should be able to do and that is connect with their patient i think you know one of the issues with this pandemic that i think is truly starting to reveal uh, itself is is a lack of trust in healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. wherein patients instead are going to the internet and going to blogs and going to places that, that truly have no business giving them medical recommendations. But for whatever reason, these, these web-based sources are what they trust more than their own doctor. And then when you zoom out and you think, if you think about kind of what I just brought up regarding the deterioration of the patient-physician relationship because of rush appointments and, and many other factors, it starts to make sense that this is all part and parcel of why we are where we are today with this pandemic. 
because we're not in a system where patients trust their physicians enough not only to come to them with questions, but then to trust what they what they say. So um, with SETI-B and my patients, things have been completely different. Many of my patients have asked me about the vaccine, have asked me about my, my thoughts, have asked me about recommendations pertaining to them and their own specific uh, case given their, their past medical history. And I've been able to sit down as long with them as, as they need to and, and talk to them uh, and, and explain to them, hey, you know, th- this, is, this is either prudent and wise in your situation or it's not prudent and wise in your situation. Um, and then they actually take my advice. So uh, I think that having the time to connect with your patients and form the rapport, especially as a primary care physician, Obviously, as a specialist, as a surgeon, as a radiologist, you don't need that advice, or, or you don't you don't need that um, that time as much. You don't need you don't need to form rapport. You don't need to form that connection. But as a primary care doctor, rapport and connection and and establishing trust amongst your patients is crucial. Uh, so that's um you know that's another huge pro to to steady and be into telemedicine a negative a boon um that that i think is um uh is is present is that i found is i'm not able to in the rare cases in the office when a patient would come out uh would, would come to see me and they would be very emotional they would be crying um you know i'm uh sympathetic enough to uh display appropriate body language. So, you know, if I need to touch the patient on the shoulder, if I need to lean in, if, if they need to hug me, um, all those things in the past that, you know, they would have been able to do uh, with me. And, and if you think about it, that essentially furthers our connection and furthers their trust in me. I'm not able to do a telemedicine. Mm-hmm. So, um, ultimately, I've, I've found, uh, you, you have to find, you know, I'm not a big complainer. I, I believe in finding solutions. Well, that's probably the engineer in me. <laughs> you you have, always have to find a solution, right? So um, I'm still able to to form that connection. And even if I'm, I uh, have a patient who's very anxious about something or um, is very depressed about something or is very emotional about, about something, uh, still with telemedicine, I found ways to connect with them over the phone, uh, connect with them enough to, to let them know that I am there for them in a supportive manner um, as, as needed. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. I mean, because I think so often we think of telemedicine and we, we worry about the loss of the face to face connection and the impact and the importance of that. But your point is so great that it's like, well, how great is that impact if we're if the quality of it is deteriorated by the fact that right. I just don't have time to even be to hear you to, to hear it. Right. And, and maybe, you know, like your kids been in there for 30 <laughs> minutes waiting for you, destroying the room and all that sort of stuff and everything that precedes it. So it's like. So no, true. it's fantastic. So true. Yep. Um, <clears throat> well, how can our listeners kind of sign up to work with you, follow you on social media? Tell tell our listeners how they can uh, hunt you down, I guess. Um, so uh, on social media, my I, I pretty much I have, I'm across all social media. But to be honest, I, I don't um, I try not to prioritize it uh, as compared to patient care. Um, so. Uh, the biggest platform that I'm on is Instagram, um, and it is simply my, my handle. My name is the fittest doc um, on there. Uh, however, I am also on 
Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, um, uh, all under the same name. Um, in terms of kind of getting started with me as a patient, um, that is exclusively through SteadyMD. Um, the, the, you know, the, the presupposition is that I am licensed in your state. Um, so that's something that we would need to determine if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I currently have licenses in over 30, 30 U.S. states and, and definitely more, more are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I am licensed to practice in your state, then you can absolutely set me up as your physician by going to the website www.steadymd.com slash Dr. Nick, where the doctor is not spelled out doctor. It's instead uh, D-R-N-I-C-K. Um, and then if you scroll down on that page, which is my bio, there's a orange box at the bottom of the page that uh, that says get started with Dr. Nick and simply click on that to, to get started. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, awesome. Well, Dr. Nick, we're so grateful that you spent time with us. We love your perspective on all of these things, but before we let you go, Mm. we do have Mm. one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Oh yeah. This is, um, not a medical question. It's a ridiculous question that's (laughs) meant to catch you by surprise. And I'm just noticing that, um, you went to Michigan State University, and you also went to Ohio State University. So I'm asking you, you really to determine great. whether you identify with being a Spartan or a Buckeye. <laughs> 100% a Buckeye. Oh, wow. That was definitive. Wow. Yeah. Wow, and I was kidding. Oh, go ahead. So, so the reason why I say that is because um, remember what I said earlier, right, that for me, engineering was nothing more than a bridge to medicine. So because oh. of that um, – because of that, I was, I mean, I've always been a nerd and I'm a proud nerd, but I was definitely one, 1,000% nerd in engineering school. So what that means is I never party, never really did anything fun. I was just all about studying and, you know, max, maximizing my GPA to go to med school. So med school was definitely very different. Um, uh, obviously, like every doctor in med school, we all study our butts off. But anybody who's been through med school also knows that after exams or after a block is over, med students party so (laughs) so so yeah so i definitely had a lot of fun in in med school you know went to a lot of ohio state football games um and uh yeah so that's why i identify more as a buckeye i was gonna make the joke too i assume that had you had the chance to do it all over again you'd be an indiana hoosier but after that answer i'm not even gonna say that no no (laughs) i'm just saying apologies and much love to the spartans out there (laughs) but dr nick hey no i Still, 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 still got to say, you know, I'm, I, I love the Spartans and I love going back to Michigan and, and seeing, you know, what they're doing with the school. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, Ohio State for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Nick. This has been a blast and we're so honored that you spent time with us. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you guys so much for inviting me and letting me, you know, talk nerdy with, with the both of you. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah. What? Sleep. Oh. Out I- of all those things. It's so important. Do you, you used to not get enough sleep because you had small little children waking up through the night. How are you doing these days? Well, I mean, I've kind of relented to the fact that the kids mm-hmm. are always probably until I pass away going to oh, be some sort of insult into my sleep habits, whether it's physical or emotional, mental, oh. creating anxiety. Who knows? I don't know. They're just never going to sleep well um, or they're always going to be doing something that causes me anxiety, causing me not to sleep well. Here's the thing. Some parents will tell you, 
and they, and this is true that they'll they'll say, "Wow, you know, um, kid's always been a good sleeper." Mm-hmm. I hate those people. <laughs> Next time on the lab report, we're going to talk lipid ratios. Wait, weren't we supposed to do that a couple shows ago? Yeah, I think so. Oh, we're gonna do it this time. Okay, maybe. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. How fun to see Will Hanke and Kim Dar. Absolutely. Sales leadership team in the house today. Having fun. Fantastic. I wish that I could communicate as well as them. Uh, I know. And in general, as well as salespeople. Like, right. Such right. a gift. You know? Something about that. And yet they put the microphones here. <laughs> Let's get these. What we should have done is had me and Kim Dar talking about new kids on the block on the podcast. Four new NKOTB <laughs> fans in the house. <laughs> We were actually singing the song Hanging Tough in our house <laughs> uh-huh. this past week. And yeah. it's fascinating to think that this is going to be a transgenerational band. Yeah. You're welcome. New kids on the block. The baby boomers who grew up with the Beatles, <laughs> raising kids <laughs> and who are offering- now passing down NKOTB to their kids. We're offering new kids <laughs> on the block. <laughs> right. We went from the Beatles <laughs> to new kids. We're awesome. And it's beautiful. We're awesome. <laughs>